I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Helen Barnett. Helen was stabbed, shot and blown up by the IRA, all in the line of duty. Helen served in the Met's infamous armed response unit. One of the first women, she was awarded a Queen's Commendation for brave conduct. Watch this interview as we discuss being a woman in a man's world and how to keep on top of your mental health. Helen, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show today. And, you know, you and I have tried to get this in the diary, I think for close to a year now. And what with this lockdown, that lockdown, COVID restrictions, we haven't managed to pull off face to face. Um, but, you know, I, I know your story and I felt it was so important for me to, to, to get you on the show, um, even though it's on Zoom. I'm, I, I'm sure it'll still be very valuable and one day we'll meet in person. So, Helen, welcome. Welcome to my show. Oh, thanks so much. It's lo lovely to finally meet up, even if it's on at the end of our phones. It genuinely is. And it's, yeah, really privileged. Thank you for, for having me on your show. Helen, listen, I've been researching into, into to your background and uh, it's quite difficult to sort of know where to start. And I think really the best place to start in this case is, I guess, from the beginning in terms of, um, you know, you were in the police force and you, you, you had these three um, incidences and I'm not going to I'm going to let you talk about them more. Um, but first of all, what is it that made you want to join the police in the first place? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I grew up in a little village in the Cotswolds um, and, you know, the older I get, the more I appreciate how lucky I was. And, and a lot of people don't have the kind of upbringing that I had. It was very simple and outdoors and um, I was very sporty. So. Yeah, I was a bit lazy at school academically, but excelled at sports. And that, so I guess it was sort of either a PE teacher and I hadn't worked hard enough to, to do, do very well in my A-levels or sort of something else sort of help. I genuinely sort of had this, you know, feeling that I wanted to help people. Um, so, yeah, um, chose the, the police as that kind of route to do it, really. Um, that, that, that itself is a little bit controversial, <laughs> depending on what era uh, uh, you're from, I guess, and, and your, your views on, on law enforcement, etc. Absolutely, possibly slightly naively, you know, having grown up in a little little uh, Cotswold village. Um, the, yeah, that, that was the image that I had. So, yeah, I mean, that was my that was genuinely my motivation. Um, yeah, and it kind of landed me on this crazy path and here we are now talking. So um, I guess if I hadn't have made that decision, I wouldn't be here talking to you, would I, Sonia? Yeah, well, so. no, and, and your life wouldn't have, I'm, I'm sure, taken the, the turns that it did. Um, and then really, it has been sort of remarkable. Um, but let, let's go back then to that that first incident so you joined the police and you, you were in the Met Police. Yeah so I, I left home when I was 18 and I joined um, the Met Cadets which was a year of just probably the best year of my life actually it was um, adventure training and sports and community service you know help volunteering in different sort of settings um, I, I had a setting in like a 
and helping mental health patients. It was all, you know, really uh, absolutely sort of amazing um, foundation for a young person. Yeah, really brilliant. And I look back really fondly on, on that time. Yeah, and then I went to Hendon and did the normal sort of training that you do to be a constable. And um, much to my surprise, passed out as top student, you know, because I'd always thought I wasn't all that clever, you know, but I just sort of worked really hard. And um, yeah, and then was posted to um, a busy North London station just um, at the beginning of 86. So it was just after going back quite a long time now after the uh, it was just after the Broadwater Farm riots in Tottenham where PC Keith Blakelock had been hacked to death so I was actually sort of working with people who had been with him um, you know and in hindsight you look back all these years and and think gosh you know I definitely hit the ground running and um, you know so it was that was sort of kind of the environment that I sort of went went into as a young 19 year old very very young and young and naive and just learnt very, very quickly, to be honest. And a hard environment. I mean, the police weren't best liked back in, in, in the day. Uh, it, especially yeah. in areas. Uh, and, you know, as a, as a young police officer, I'm sure it must have been, you know, particularly difficult. I mean, how did you, if you can remember those times, can, can how did you feel about the situation? Did you ever feel afraid of going out on the streets? Um, I don't think I did because I, I was probably, as we all are, a bit young and naive and, and, and sort of felt invincible, really. Um, so, and I worked with a, a lot of really good people. It was an amazing time, to be honest, as a woman, because things were really changing. We were, you know, I look back and we were quite sort of um, groundbreaking, really, the roles that we were doing as women, you know, um, we were still if issued with like half size truncheons and handbags and actually <laughs> only, yeah honestly but so the equipment hadn't caught up with the role that we were doing so what our you role to do with that <laughs> <laughs> exactly i just left mine in my locker because it was just just useless so and we were just allowed just literally allowed to wear trousers so that's kind of what the the era there was no body armor nothing like that so that's the the sort of era so yeah but I I I felt you know there was a real lot of opportunity for us as as women to be to be honest yeah so yeah that that was setting the scene really so um yeah and and just learned was getting on quite nicely and I suppose it just leads me I, I yeah I got married quite young um had had a young son Ben um in 1990 so and um, just was working you know no part-time working no no sort of um anything like that to take into account that you'd got children so you know that was the, the era that it was really and it was just that was just normal you just sort of got on with it it was yeah they didn't even take into account it was almost like you had to step up or yeah I guess yeah a lot of people just left you know if they had children so it's quite unusual so yeah juggling quite a lot of of balls in the air as we all do you know um with family life but um yeah and then um I suppose it leads me on really sort of I was working on on just a shift work response responding to 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 calls doing shift work um and leads me on to the sort of the first incident, if you wanted me to sort of talk about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because I think that's, well, that's where it all, all began, I guess. Um, so, yes. Yeah. I think that picture, that would be great, Helen. 
Yeah, so um, takes me on to sort of, um, September the 2nd, it was, remember it well, 1991. So yeah, Ben was um, 10 months old and um, I'd gone on to um, a late turn shift, which was two in the afternoon till 10 in the evening. And I'd been posting, posted driving the van um, and uh, with a guy called John Davison, who was a sergeant and a, a friend of mine. Um, and um, fortunately, we were both, both uh, this will make sense later, but we were both sort of very physically fit and into our, our weightlifting and strong sort of. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and we'd been chatting away and um, it was just a very unusually quiet afternoon. And, and then a call came out, which was very, very you know usual call nothing no alarm bells ringing or anything to just somebody a guy in, in the wood green shopping area the main shopping area just causing a bit of a nuisance really outside a shop so really nothing much more than that came over the radio so we um we accepted the call and because it was quite another panda car with two two female police officers accepted it as well which was quite unusual for a call like that but I think it was just you know it was so quiet um so I, I pulled up outside the shop parked the van at the side of the road and John jumped out of, of of his side and went into the shop that had called us just to sort of find out from them really what had been going on a bit more which was just normal what you do and I, I'd sort of noticed that the guy we'd been called to, he, he was very, very distinctive, a huge, huge guy. Um, and his description of his clothes had crossed the road. So I jumped out of the van door and nipped through the traffic over to the, the path where he was stood. And he'd got his back to me. Um, and at no point in, in that, sorry to interrupt, Helen, no point no. of getting out, seeing the guy, clearly a big guy. Um, and I'm probably asking this as a, as, as a woman, maybe you haven't been asked this guy, I don't know. But I think if you saw this big guy, and I, I, like, like no, no one knows how they feel, your, your, your reaction was to actually run towards him. Was there any moment you feared your own life or you, you feared what could happen? Or was your instinct just to obviously to go, which is part of your job? Yeah, not not at all. I mean, you know, I was five foot ten. I was really fit and strong and young and just... You know, I, I, yeah, just very, I, you know, without blowing my mind, you know, I felt I was a capable police officer, really, um, would get involved in anything. And there was nothing about it to do, to um, indicate what he was about to do next. So, and I always really, I think it was just my upbringing, always just tried to speak to everybody really nicely and genu genu generally, <laughs> generally, um, you could diffuse people by just treating them like, a, you know, another human being. You know, and that that was my how I genuinely tried to deal with everybody I came across. Um, so I, he got his back to me, and I I think I said something along the lines of "Hello, you know, what's been going on?" You know, that would have been how I would have spoken yeah. to him. Um, but you weren't aware yeah. he, was, he was carrying anything at this. this Not point. at all. So I couldn't see his hands. Um, so he was armed with um, a Swiss army knife, which isn't a particularly big knife, but he'd got it sort of, um, if I show you, he got it like, so like this. Yeah. So what, what, so it, yeah, so he was holding the knife like that. I couldn't see the knife. And literally what I'm about to say sort of, um, um, sort of evolved in, in, in seconds, um, he, he, 
swung round and he stabbed me in the stomach with all his might, you know, this mighty punch um, that's sent me flying back, hard to judge, but probably about 12 foot and I was on the pavement. Um, and just instinctively I got up and I was just really angry. Um, I remember sort of scrabbling up off the floor and thinking, God, that really hurt, thinking he punched me. Um, but it, this is just literally like faster than I can speak, Sonia. And um, so got up, was trying to sort of call on my radio, could see that my friend was being stabbed. She approached him, she was being stabbed. So I was like, just learnt, sort of lunge forward, just instinctively um, to, to stop him and try and arrest him, you know. Um, again, reiterating, we were completely unarmed, no body armor, just, you know, our white shirt sleeves. Um, and yeah, in the blink of an eye, he'd sent me flying backwards again onto the path and um, I'd been stabbed twice more. Um, and just, yeah, just the speed of it, I really can't sort of reiterate how fast this all happened. And um, yeah, so I, I was on the floor. Um, so he, he was stabbing Jenny, my other friend, Zara, across the road. She was just delayed set by second by a car. So in that time, we'd been stabbed eight times. Oh, well, and was there any passers by? Was there any people that were trying to help or do anything at, at this point? I'm sort of trying to visualize the scene in my head and... Yeah, um, I mean, it, literally, I, it was a busy shopping, it, very good question, actually, a really busy shopping center. Um, we were to be helped sort of later on, but at that mm. point, I don't, I, I don't know, and I don't think so, because he was just in this frenzy, absolute, you know, it, um, he was a, um, a schizophrenic, we found out, and um, he'd had a history of attacking police officers, and um, um, sort of the care in the community had broken down, so he's having a, this manic episode, and, um, mm. you know, he was just fueled by this, and uh, yeah, Zara crossed the road, and um, she got stabbed, um, and all this time I was on the floor and I remember just my white shirt literally turning red. And I, it was just that, I think that's the first time in my life that I'd felt fear like it and sort of this feeling um, just confused and panic stricken, you know, what was going, I couldn't understand why there was blood, you know, why, why did he punch me that hard that I was bleeding? It was yeah. just, yeah, so um, yeah, it, it was just, I think I must have closed down because my memory of it is quite limited of what was going on around me. I know Zara had been stabbed at this point. And she was calling for help over the radio. And um, John, who'd gone into the shop, he, he'd obviously heard what was going on over the radio and he came over. Um, he got stabbed in, uh, in the stomach, um, but he, he got helped by an off-duty PC and his wife who helped him um, take the knife off of the guy, Rupert West, his name was. Um, uh, he was, I think from what I've been told since that he was kind of calming down at this point. And um, yeah, so John managed to disarm him. So yeah, within about 90 seconds, we'd been stabbed um, 10 times between the four of us. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, uh, I mean, what goes through your mind at that point? You didn't actually realize you still at this point thought you'd been punched. There were, you didn't realize, I guess. Yeah, so it was, yeah, it was. I was lying on the floor and I, um, a, 
one of those the lady who'd been shopping actually was giving me first aid and some other people um and she i remember hearing her say oh and she's been stabbed in the stomach as well and somebody was really bearing down on my stomach and i think that was the first realization that you know i'd been i'd been stabbed um yeah so i just was literally lying there thinking stay away don't die i was thinking of ben you know all these things sort of going through my mind and then and then I, I remember this feeling of sheer relief when uh, um, started arriving. Oh, Helen. Yeah, incredibly reassuring. Sorry, you just broke up. Could you repeat that? What did you, you say? I, I just heard you say you, you felt uh, yeah, relief. I yeah relief when um police officers started arriving and friendly faces so i knew that sense that um you know no disrespect to anybody who was helping me because they were amazing but you know just those, seeing familiar faces um sort of looking down at me you know uh, i remember the horror on their faces as well was just like clear to see but um yeah um and that was it you know we were given first aid all of us and um taken off to various hospitals nearby um and what, what what were the injuries i mean how long did it take you to recover sort of physically from those in injuries yeah i think my physical fitness especially with the one in my stomach was, was key you know i had a real strong core and i think i think my injuries would have been more sort of internal than they actually were so there was a deep puncture wound to my stomach but you know i, I was very sort of fit and strong and i'm I, i'm convinced that really Good. probably saved my life to be honest yeah. um and two very deep wounds one right down to the bone i've got a big scar sort of about that long on my shoulder and, and on my forearm here but um there's a bit of problem with with sort of um them healing but yeah very lucky very 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 lucky yeah you know um physically could have been a lot lot worse than it actually was really and were you given, uh, I mean, did you have a lot of time off between um, between when you returned? Or, and, and did you at any point think, do I want to return after this? Yeah, so I think, I forget how long I actually had off, but um, it was a, a fair few months uh, sort of physically healing. And yeah, it was difficult. I remember putting on my uniform again was, was difficult. And obviously I've been at home with Ben and yeah, it was, but there was no understanding around mental health then. I was about, you know, it, about to say, was there anyone on hand to sort of say, well, you know, how are you coping with this sort of mentally? Has it affected you? Yeah, so then, you know, there really was no um, concept, uh, you know, around mental health, what mental wellbeing really, you know, it just wasn't, we've come such a long way since thankfully. And, um, you know, so it just wasn't really on the radar. Um, you know, I trained a lot so you know that was a without me sort of realizing was probably you know a good coping mechanism but yeah obviously clearly would have been very traumatized but having said that my char character was if somebody had probably said to me you're mentally affected at that point I'd have said well you know no no I'm not you know I'm I'm a tough character I'm resilient you know all those things you need to be and so I probably wouldn't have been open to it at that point anyway, if that makes sense. Really, you, you are resilient, that, that's for certain. And, and I guess at that time, you wouldn't have known either that, that you were affected mentally by, by the situation. 
that probably wouldn't have hit you. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was just a matter of recovering physically and getting back to work. Um, you know, and once I I got over that hurdle of being frightened of you know putting my uniform on and that, and I I just got did you know get back into it and I, I um I don't think it affected me too much um you know in the way I worked and everything but it's hard isn't it to judge you know um it, it is, you know. but what I was so surprised when I when I listened to your story it, it didn't just end there I mean that's already horrific you stabbed three times uh take us to incident two and and how long ago was incident two after this had happened yeah so um, first incident was 1991 and then 1993, uh, Christmas 1993 was the second incident. So I was, I'd been studying for my sergeant's exam and um, I was just in, in an office with my radio on and I could hear a call come over the radio um, that uh, um, there was a coded, recognised coded bomb threat by the IRA again to Wood Green shopping area, exactly the same place where where I've been stabbed, yeah. Um, so uh, have you been back there since since the start? Oh yeah, lots. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's where I was working. So yes, yeah, that yeah. Um, and uh, so all we knew was there was going to be some bombs going off in Woodgreen Shopping Centre, which was you know vast, and it was Christmas time. Everybody was shopping, so we. And I guess for a lot of people that, that may be watching this, I mean, I, I remember the IRA time. Um, I, th I think we're, we're quite similar ages, Helen, but um, I, I, there might be a lot of people that don't really remember. I mean, it was a genuine threat living in London in those days. And it was it was something, I mean, I remember, I, was, I wasn't living in London, but I remember my, my father was, and I remember watching the news being terrified that something might have happened to him. When, when we heard about the IRA, it was it was a, it was a common occurrence, wasn't it? Sort of thing, wasn't it back then? Yeah, absolutely, was at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a campaign, wasn't it? That was, um, you know, was that was real, and um, you know, a lot of people's lives were affected, weren't they? And um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, genuinely knew something was going to happen, but where we, you know, just didn't know. So yeah, all we could do really was go down there and try and get people to come out of the shops, you know, doing their Christmas shopping. So just really without any, because we couldn't really plan anything. It was just thinking, you know, on our feet just to get it, get everybody out. Um, and that's what I was doing along with loads of colleagues of mine. And we were just literally running from shop to shop, telling people there was going to be a bomb um, to get out doing that as quick as we could and I, so I was in the process of doing that and one of them went off um sort of hard to know how, how far away but it was uh, planted in, in a weren't massive um but enough to do smash the shop windows you know that kind of damage um some people were hit by flying glass I, I was blown off my feet and just remember getting up off the floor sort of thinking god am I all right what the, you know what the hell's gone on feeling terrified again that same feeling at the stabbing really of mm. and not kind of not knowing where the next bomb was going to be it was just this feeling of panic but you've got a job to do so I um I met joined up with a friend of mine who was on on the path and we just looked at each other and I think we exchanged a few expletives like you know 
it just it was just crazy um smoke and alarms going off and people running and screaming and and um we just tried to carry on you know getting people out of the shops and uh, we moved away from another bin we did we'd literally moved away a few feet and it went off again so that that was the second device had got, gone off behind us um which was truly terrifying again we were lucky you know it was relatively small but um and yeah i lost track of time we just carried on doing what we could but you know it was pretty um pretty terrifying really um nobody was killed a few people were hit by flying glass you know i wasn't injured but it was just just um just frightening and then i, I was doing this and then i suddenly had <laughs> had this thought in my head ben he's he's being brought by the childminder to a christmas party at wood green and I just, it was before mobile phones or anything. And I just yeah. thought, oh, so I'm doing this job and now I'm having this thought about, I've got to stop them coming here. Coming here. <laughs> so I, I, I remember running into this, this paper shop. I said, please, can I use your phone? This is, makes me laugh now. It's so funny, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I rang home and said, you know, just Michelle, just don't bring him to Wood Green, just stay at home. I'll, I'll explain later. So it was just like, Wow. wow yeah this this going on in my head and yeah and then maternal instinct because you're you know that's your first instinct to protect your 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 son your baby yeah 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 so um and then some time later i lost track of time we were taken back to wood green and um um we we all got together in a bit in an office and just had a sort of a bit of a quick meeting just to check everybody was you know what they'd done what part they'd taken how they felt um and yeah we just went went home and life carried on and I carried on studying studying my sergeant's exam sort of threw myself into that and it was just you know just another one of those things that had happened you know so so um, no point and and this was because this involved a few members of the police force presumably and at no point did you get any sort of counseling or or somebody chatting about what had happened or yeah, it was genuinely nobody's fault. It was just the times, you know, it was yeah, just, yeah. that was it. There, you know, there just um, wasn't that that sort of understanding of, of how the mind is affected by these these awful things, really. And, and again, just to ask you that, the same question I asked you before, did this not put you off going back? No, it didn't. You know, I was, I was studying and, but, you know, I, it definitely was starting you know it's these layers in it which we all have these layers of life's traumas and things nasty things that happen we've all got them um they just build up don't they we've you know and without if we don't deal with with them they just build layer on layer and I think that's what was happening I I, I trained to extreme really without sort of realizing that was a, a coping mechanism were you seeing um, any other signs or anything or that that were coming through in other parts. I mean, my marriage just went down the pan. Um, so I'd got that to deal with. Um, I, I was wow. bulimic at one point. Um, I, I look back and kind of probably that was a sort of form of control, wasn't it? Over, yeah. you know. Um, was, was that after your marriage break? I've got the same. The sort, of sort of at the same, this same point. So, you know, it was just going pear shape for want of a better phrase, you know, um, at home um 
do you think um because look i mean you, you know we're, we're talking there's one thing we're talking about physical as physical instances as part of your job and then you've got um, a marriage breakdown which is which is hugely traumatic um, in terms of a, a, a sort of a relationship and an emotional part of, of you um if you, if you look back now do, do, do you think which was it's probably a difficult different difficult thing to answer which felt worse the physical side or, or the the mental i guess anguish of going through um a, a relationship breakup yeah, I, I think um, really at that period of time and, and for much of my life really reflect, I just kind of just stuffed it all down. You know, it was clearly all very difficult, but just, um, yeah, just somehow just kind of tr tried to detach myself from it, which isn't a good thing. But I think that's how I coped with it. You know, in this busyness of training, you know, that was a... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and I think going back each time and back to the to the force where you'd had all these things happen to you, but actually, it was still getting you away. I guess from from your from what was ever was going on in in your home life. Yeah, and I joined, you know, to 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 sort of have a thirty year career, and and it, you know, it was um, that was that was it. Um, yeah, so I just I just li literally sort of knuckled down and and, and carried on and. Um, I suppose that kind of takes us on to the the, the third sort of significant sort of um, you know incident. So the following year, I decided to um, uh, join the the armed response vehicles, so the firearms department, which was really really unusual. They'd only just opened it up to women, so there were there'd been two women had joined shortly before me. Um, so it was a real male it cult you know environment um what well, i mean how did that feel well how did it feel person to, to get that 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 job to, to be able to do that um yeah so how it's really as a, as a woman as one of the only women yeah pr pretty well really because yeah things were changing and we you know i think i said to you earlier you know we were i look back and you know it was women we were quite groundbreaking changing things really you know things that have traditionally just been done by men but didn't realize that at the time and just sort of um you know most people you know were were uh, of the generate same generation of me were joining if that makes sense so that they were although I was the only woman on my team they were sort of uh, you know um they were changing things as well if that won't make sense as men there was the odd dinosaur that clearly didn't like change but you know generally treat, treated really well you know really well but it was a very difficult stressful job you know um and I think being being clearly so different be, by being a woman you kind of ha had to um you know I was very aware that I didn't want to show any sort of signs of weakness or, or anything like that you know if that makes sense yeah yeah no it does it's you're proving it you're not just you're trying to prove yourself to everybody else and proving yourself as a woman I mean it's not similar but I worked in a in, in the finance industry which is very much a man's world and you almost have to shut down the female parts of you and <laughs> just take on a different persona going to work and, uh, yeah you you get it Sonia that's that's it don't, yeah um exactly that's really what good way of putting it um yeah so I was 
juggling Ben at home with childcare, um, you know, that was difficult on, on its own. And then I'd taken on this even more difficult role. And I laugh really at myself, sort of continually making sort of my life more difficult, really. Oh my God, and tell um, me a little bit about this armed patrol. So this is what the, the main armed unit now in, in, in well, in, in, the, in the country. Yeah, so it was literally in its infancy, it had just been started and, uh, uh, you know, back then we wore exactly the same uniform. Um, so, you know, it was just white shirts and, and you know, the, the, the black trousers, you know, it was just, it's come such a long way. I look at how, you know. There was the like, um, you know, protective padding in case you got shot at. So we had, we had body armor that was kept in the car. So that's, that's, so yeah. <laughs> Wow. So it's changed, it's changed beyond belief what they look like now. And, yeah. you know, so, so we were, you know, it, it was a time of change. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you I, go back and you think, well, why, why did you have to fit? I guess, was it so you didn't scare the general public or was it so yeah. you found out by the, by the, by the criminals that were going to do something? No, I think it was more the thinking was because we I think there was an argument that actually we should have some kind of different uniform. Um, I think the art thinking was back then that um, they didn't want us to look any different. They didn't want us to stand out that we were any different, um, probably for the reasons that you you know say that, you know, didn't want the general public to think, oh, gosh, those officers are armed. But, I mean, we've come such a long way now, <laughs> haven't we, since, <laughs> since then. I live yeah. in London, you used to hear yeah not much in the us but um but yeah yeah so that's that was the thinking back then so yeah that's 1994 and um so yeah boxing day was boxing day 1994 we we got a call just as we were going off duty actually and we'd gone back to the base to clock off and go home and this call came out to help um the local office unarmed officers in north london again at enfield so um we made our way and um, I, I was more than ready to go home. You know, I was tired. I think we all were tired, you know, just that that was our sort of mindset. So we 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 made up our way up to um, to Enfield um, to support the local police who had a call to a sort of domestic incident where um, this guy who was eventually to, to shoot me had abducted his his um, baby daughter, toddler daughter in a pushchair from his, his pup strange partners and she called the police and he, he was armed with a handgun so basically we, we'd been called um we'd formed up in a side road and uh, myself and a colleague we borrowed some some um, jackets to go over our uniforms and we went and had a look at the, the flat where we knew he was holed up he, he barricaded himself in this flat nearby so nick and i went and had a look at the flat the door the layout of the stairwell so we, and we made a few little sketch plans and just so that and he was more experienced than I um, and uh, to, the plan was that we'd go around there and hopefully manage to, to sort the situation out. Um, so we made our way back to the road about probably about just under a quarter of a mile away from from the flat and um, we were just I remember being stood at the back of one of the, the firearms cars that we'd arrived in and uh, just thinking about I'd rather be at home now that sort of these thoughts were going through my mind better get my body armor on just sort of mundane sort of low-key things we were just sort of getting ready to go 
ground of the flat where we knew he was. <clears throat> and then uh, again, this all happened in the flash, uh, you know, blink of an eye, um, faster than I can sort of explain to you. I heard, I heard one of my colleagues say that it's him. And uh, I looked up and everybody just started reacting and it just, 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 just chaos. Um, and he'd followed us and he was in the, in the entrance to the roadway where the cars were, our cars were parked up. So he'd appeared in the roadway with his toddler in the pushchair. So I um, hadn't had, got my body armor on and we just literally instinctively reacted. And I, I, I remember um, seeing, seeing a gun fit, running towards him. We were all kind of reacting, um, feeling this surge of terror again, you know, thinking I just want to run in the opposite direction that's sort of your human reaction but you don't of course um but yeah filled with terror and, and adrenaline and um so yeah and the gun came out of his coat um it, it put it into his mouth and again this is just so quick that i can't explain you know you just literally don't have time to think you just just react and i was i was um going for my sidearm my glock in my in, in my holster um and my hand, I hadn't even touched it. And as I was running forward, there was this, he, he, he outstretched his arm. So it went from his mouth to outstretch and he shot me. Oh my God. Um, yeah, and it was just surreal really. It was just everything stopped. And I remember sort of hearing a bang and a puff of smoke and um, sort of everything closed down. And But I knew I'd been shot. There was no pain, but it was just like being hit by sort of, um, a truck really I you know a, a, a huge impact and I, I, I fell onto the, the road and um, my memory is a bit sketchy because I think again you just must go into shock mustn't you and just like close down but he he was shot I think about eight times and my my colleagues all returned fire so it's all going on around me um, and um, I've only recently been told I was dragged behind on the police car, but I have no memory of that. But I've just had, literally within the last couple of weeks told that somebody oh, wow. pulled me to safety round behind one of the cars, but I actually can't remember that. Um, I just remember being finding myself behind one of the cars, um, and uh, yeah, and, I, and I, the, the bullet had gone through the front of my knee, round the side, and come out the back. I mean, you said just before that you didn't really, well, you realised you'd been shot, but it didn't hurt or you weren't in pain. I think you said you weren't in pain. Um, now, I, I've never been shot, touch wood quickly. <laughs> but I, I can imagine, and, and you know, I've, I've spoken in an interview with a lot of um, veterans that are in the military. And um, I guess it's that the adrenaline is it that stops that pain because your body's in that in fight mode rather than flight mode. So it's all geared up. But what point did you feel the pain? Because I guess there must be a point where you're then, the, the, the dangerous situation is, is sort of the immediate has gone and then the pain is yeah. in at some point. Yeah, that's exactly it. Sonia, that's exactly what must have been going on, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, and it kicked in really quickly once I was on the floor and because the, the, we, we'd gone with an ambulance that they'd come with us and um, so they started tending to me on the floor and my colleagues were you know came over and um, I think my my friend um, Richard who I'd worked with years ago he was there and he looked down at me and said oh god not you again we had like this 
the sort of dark humor you know yeah um yeah and then the pain yeah it was like oh just excruciating nothing like you know it so I guess once I felt safe the pain kicked in yeah I mean that that point with humor it's, it's, it's interesting not you again I mean what what was the mindset that kept you going because I mean it's like the Rocky movie, isn't it? You, you kept on getting hit, but you kept getting back up. You know, not physically at that time, but you kept going back and, and doing your job and, and protecting um, our people. What, what's the mindset behind that? I mean, is there anything you can describe that kept you going? Um, I don't know. I think possibly it came from, you know, that the childhood that I spoke about earlier, you know, we were sort of um, outdoorsy type people, you know, if, if we fell out of a tree or whatever it was, you know, you, you hurt yourself, your mum took you off to A&E and, &E and you, you know, um, that just that kind of resilience that was sort of somewhere I don't, inside me, I, I can't quite, I don't really know. Uh, mum and dad were just really hardworking people. So I got this ethos that you worked hard. So. You know, it was my job, you know, obviously, you know, financially, you know, it was an income as well. So a lot of things, I I, um, I just got that sort of stubborn mindset and, and I think an ability to kind of, I did it with my training, I, you probably know a bit, you know, about this, Sonia, you can push yourself beyond that sort of, um, sort of pain barrier. So I, so I kind of got that sort of mindset, I think, that's the only way I can describe it really but um yeah I, I i mean i didn't return to work after after the shooting you know that was literally you know the straw that broke the camel's back um i'm not surprised um and how i mean how did you recover from that both both i guess physically and mentally i mean you, you said the bullet just to talk on the physical aspect you said the bullet went round your knee and i and i, I know you've gone on and done other challenges since which we'll get on to but um <laughs> physically did it take you a long time to, to sort of recover yeah so again physically I was so lucky I mean I was told by a specialist it was like millimeters away from would have shattered my knee so I'm eternally thankful really I mean it, it got a bit infected because it got at the local hospital they stitched it up both the exit and entry were stitched up so um it was, it was a bit of a mistake so it got all infected and I had to have it treated at the Woolwich military hospital at the time that, that went and had treatment there and but once that was sorted out um you know it, it it's I get a it's it grumbles a bit but nothing that's ever stopped me thank you know I am genuinely so thankful that um you know my, my life could have been very different physically couldn't it so do you, but, ever, do you ever look back and think Three times, is there a reason why I'm still here? Do you ever sort of think, I mean, you could have gone on any of those occasions. I mean, not many people have been shot, stabbed and blown up and are still here. Yeah, and I think that, that has been my my mindset. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we all have really dark load times, don't we? Um, but I think I just generally felt lucky and fortunate and I think, um you know that mindset has really helped me um 
sometimes I, this will sound really bizarre in the early days I, I, I wished I'd been and I really don't wish this now but in the early days I, I wish there was something more to show physically does that make sense because obviously then I was really traumatized by this yeah. third major event and um, that was quite hard for me you know this resilient character and sometimes I, sometimes I wish there'd been more to show um, that why I was you know obviously mentally injured yeah. but 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 physically you know this big tough muscly strong woman you know that um does if that does that make sense it, it does it does make sense i mean it it, it 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 completely makes sense but you've been through so much and and okay you've still got your, your limbs and you're you, you know able to walk etc but you'd still taken a, a hell of a beating and not many people would keep getting back up and sometimes it's I, I don't know and I can't imagine this but it's sometimes it's not always the physical side it's what's what it's doing to us mentally each time um, mm. I think now more than ever you know and I don't think we're seeing the full effects of what's going on now with lockdown number three and um, I do think it will help, uh, affect a lot of people's mental health being um, sort of mm. stuck at home and not being able to get out and all the other horrible implications that this this pandemic is having on us um, but I think the mental scars I think far outweigh the physical scars in, in, in a lot of ways mm, yeah yeah and um, you know I again I was very lucky in a way um, I've got some you know, amazing you know my federation rep Colin he's now you know one of my best friends was just magnificent and um, his, his understanding of mental health and well-being was way beyond the time and he was like really my voice and fought my corner and um I'm forever thankful for him um and uh yeah and I did get eventually um got got funding and got some amazing treatment and then got diagnosed in 95 with post-traumatic stress disorder which was really quite unusual then um so, and it was a kind of double-edged sword. It was good that I, I realised I wasn't actually going mad, but it was a diagnosis that kind of, you know, um, you're stuck with this disorder. That, that was kind of the thinking of it back oh, then. Uh, and, and I guess, yeah, I mean, I don't like that, even the, the, the word disorder, post-traumatic. I, I mean, it's, it's trauma, isn't it, that, that, you, um, that you suffered? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't really see how it's a disorder <laughs> at all, that word itself. Yeah. It's, is um isn't the greatest word to use uh yeah. and, and and how did did you get help for your recovery um or not you know in terms of the, on the mental side of things on helping you with that side yeah so i i you know i was very fortunate got this funding from the met um after that was quite difficult because after you, you feel like you've you've given your all to this job that you kind of love um and then realization that it doesn't love you back was quite a hard thing to deal with but um yeah i got really good funding eventually thanks to some good friends and, and colin and um to see professor gordon turnbull who was like um he still is you know really top of his tree with trauma and um so got you know got some really good help and that that kind of went over a year this is sort of um sort of help from, from from their program they ran which was really great but then ultimately I was um you know faced with being medically discharged in 96 with post-traumatic stress disorder 
I'm um, just taking you back. I just want to pick up on something you said, you know, the realization that this job that you'd given everything for, and not just everything, you'd given your life for pretty much, um, and realizing they, they don't love you back. I mean, I, I, again, I've had a similar experience, not to that extent, because my life was never on the line. Um, but I did give my, I gave every hour, <laughs> certainly in my early career to, to corporate life and, uh, you know, slept with a Blackberry by my bed, working till two in the morning, traveling every God knows, uh, and, and not having any sort of life outside work. And, and then the final realization for me when I, when I came out of corporate life was they, they just didn't care. They, did, they just don't care. <laughs> and I think that was the biggest plop in the ocean. Yeah, the very you know say similar experiences to me Sonia isn't it you get it you know you get it you sacrifice in whatever way it is you know when it wasn't my life you just have the much more extreme sort of version so I mean I can imagine that must have felt awful because when I had that realization I, I just sort of I was angry actually I was quite angry with um wow why have I spent so long in my life giving everything and actually you don't give it you don't give a shit quite frankly yeah there were individuals don't get me wrong there were some amazing individuals yeah, within it yes, that, that yes. really fought my corner that were, but the, the system I'll call it the system the whatever system, you want to call it system, yeah, yeah did didn't care and yeah and, and um you know that 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 was really tough um and and hard and yeah and, and, and you know I handed in my warrant card um yeah, felt I couldn't go on anymore because you know there was Ben considering it. He was four by now. Um, you know, it, it was a hard decision to make. But yeah, I handed my warrant card in, and that was it. The door was shut. There was no social media back then to sort of. There were no support groups. There was, you know, a few, few very good friends. Um, but that was it. You just you've just gone. And um, I mean, how did you, you know, through? Because that had been your life. Up until that point, um, I mean, how, how did you feel? How did you, you must have felt a, a sort of sense of, of a loss of identity of who you were. Yeah, complete loss of identity and purpose. And uh, and it it's very difficult, even more so being a, a woman. Um, I'd done this job that was quite unusual. You know, I'd gone into yeah. some, these, these male. Males. Yeah, so I'd got all these amazing sort of life skills, these skills, you know, of being able to drive fast, car, the car's fast, I've done my advanced drive, I could shoot people and right. and then I, there I was, um, I felt like an alien, literally, like, um, like a fish out of water and um, it was difficult. Did you, have many, did you have that many female friends at that time that weren't in the police? No, I did get some, I mean, um, through the children, but there's all this, always this layer of me that was disconnected, if that makes sense, Sonia, yeah. that I just, just buried and just didn't talk about. And so, um, you know, had the kids, um, did various different jobs, you know, and um, did some sort of sporting challenges. You know, I think I broke the British indoor rowing, you know, the concept two rowing, record for the mile for my age group I got involved in these sort of things as I went along um and just never ever spoke about you know what ha happened to me it was just just you know shut the lid on it um and that that was it really uh, um 
you know, had an, had another failed marriage. So I think it's come out in relationships, you know, um, and all the things that that brings along and, you know, the heartache it causes to kids. So, you know, it does, it impacts on your children as well, you know, and. Don't you think the whole thing's linked? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're all, well, I guess we're all connected, but there's, there's links there, isn't there? I guess if one area of your life, you're not feeling whole in yourself, and you don't feel that sense of purpose identity that's I guess going to spread into other areas of life such as relationships yeah definitely in the sense of you know your self-worth sort of goes yeah. completely low um and probably much of the time nobody would have ever realized this you know on the on the you know the outside really um yeah and really that's how kind of my life sort of unfolded and then we jump on to sort of I was about to say where was the point where you sort of if you did have sort of this realization that you you, you had suffered and that you you were you were going to try and change things or you know what what would what was that moment or what all those moments well it, it sort of came about really randomly about just over eight coming up for two years in May this May so it would be two years and I, I Ben my Ben, who I talk about, who's who's thirty now, phoned me up one evening and said, "Mum, I'm part of a, a, a charity um, event. So there's twelve of us going to break the twenty-four hour deadlifting world record for Rock to Recovery to raise money for the veterans. We need somebody else. Somebody's just dropped out. So there, I'm fifty-three. <laughs> oh wow! This oh my gosh! So this is like." Wow. Okay. And that is, yeah. I know what deadlifting's like. I, I, I mean, I, I tend to do the Romanian deadlift, which is much more hamstringy because I find the technique with deadlifting is so, it's, it's a difficult technique to get. And do you had you deadlifted before? Well, yeah, but I, I said yes. <laughs> and then we finished a conversation and I thought, God, what have I let myself in for? What actually is a I think I know what a deadlift is so that was that was it I knew I'd be way older than all these you know they were mainly military veterans I was probably going to be probably nearly 20 years older than some of them good for you <laughs> I'm just saying good for you <laughs> so I'd said yes I oh dear me I was full of anxiety trained as hard as I could trained with Ben when I could because you know and, and just but just was so anxious what thinking were you lifting? Do, do you remember what weight you were lifting so we lifted 80 kilos for an hour and broke the hour hour record so we did rotated literally yeah. the 12 of us we, that was for an hour and we broke the hour world record and then we dropped it to 60 kilos for the 24 hours how many um, reps were you doing within your so you you probably did about about 10 and then the next person jumped on you just kind of did it like that and uh, so that was it was kind of a turning point did that pushed myself beyond the, the darkest place ever and I think yeah. I was ill for about a week after and you can imagine Sonia yeah. um but it was a real Dan Elliott who helps with Rock to Recovery, they came down and Jason Fox came down and supported us. And Dan Elliott, who, who, who does a lot of helping in the background, said he had a conversation with my boys who were you know, both there and about me. And he, he said something like, if you ever need any help, it just, I can't even remember what he said, but he was really kind and touched something. And I thought, and it just resonated that actually, you know, I'm suffering badly with anxiety and stuff. Anyway, cut a long story short, because I could grab it on forever. 
um, they ended up giving me a, a bit of help for, from Rock to Recovery with my anxiety, ironically. There's me trying to raise money for them. And, and um, what sort of tips can you give any tips or things that they, they, they helped you with? Or? Just, um, yeah, just the realization, you know, that uh, going through what, you know, what I'd gone through was normal and the anxiety had sort of evolved over the, it, it, it's a quite a hard thing to, to explain the techniques that, that, um, that they use, but it really sort of helped me, set me back on my path. I didn't need much help. It was kind of a self-realization, but it, it sort of, led me on to, to finding Nick Goldsmith, who I, I know you, you've you you've met and yeah. interviewed. Yeah, um, I, I met Nick, I was gonna say about this time, it wasn't this time, it was the hottest day of the year last year. Uh, and we just got out of lockdown one and myself and my cameraman, we, we drove down to see Nick, who's, who's outside Bristol uh, and his amazing woodlands. And yeah, we, we, we did a great interview. He showed me how to carve wood and it was, it was fantastic. Um, and yes, we, we, he mentioned you then, but carry on. Sorry, Helen, I'll let you, let you finish. But, so yeah. you know, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about, the magic of him and the place and his wife, Louise. and. So um, I started following them because they were linked in with Rock to Recovery and following Instagram. And um, they were then advertised to the Wooden Warrior for, for veterans and emergency services people to go down there for a weekend. Uh, and I thought, oh, no, I can't, I can't. I'm not bad enough. You know, it's just too long ago. All these sort of this chatter in my head. Very humbling. But, or is it, is it to do with self-worth as well? self-worth as well and also I'd lived with it for so long it's kind of become just my normal kind of story that story you know yourself, yeah. yeah all those things anyway I did pluck up courage emailed them and to cut a long story short went on their woodland warrior program with some injured veterans and did exactly what you say Sonia's we wood carved we made fire we just all these simple things in nature and and it, it, yeah, the, just the magic of the man. He just just said, Helen, you've got the, a story that you need to tell. It's so current, you know. Just just these odd bits that he threw in there that, you know. Um, and uh, we did some interviews and uh, for BBC. And I remember thinking, God, I hope I can remember my story. I've never spoken about it. It was really odd, you know. It was just such such a long time that I'd buried it, you know, to, to even think. And I remember my own story was set, sent me, you know, full of anxiety. And, and how, anyway, just, obviously since then you've talked about it um, and in various different interviews and podcasts. Um, how does it um, feel talking about it now? Yeah, so that was thanks to Nick and he put me in touch with different people and, you know, um, and it, it now, I, you know, I, I am fine, but I was very, very nervous in the beginning because, you know, um, just just literally I hadn't spoken about it and um so it's been I started doing public speaking obviously that's dried up because of um you know the situation with it that we're in now and um and then it, this amazing other um charity sort of spotted me through the interview that I'd done with Nick on the BBC the, um, the Pilgrim's Bandits charity but the Curtis Palmer program which is sort of um extension of pilgrims bandits and but it, for the emergency services police and um they got in touch with me 
and uh, so I've um, I've been I was going to Norway on an expedition with them last summer, but that got cancelled. Um, but we ended up just fitting in an expedition to Snowdon in between sort of lockdowns. So we went to Wales and did mountain climbing and different things. And so I'm involved with, you know, helping them now, which is, right. you know, has also come, come from this, you know, the work that they're doing and um, hopefully, you know, um, helping other people through sort of my experiences. And, you know, they're doing amazing work. Um, and uh, and uh, also, um, I've also got into um, th this sort of um, hol holotropic breath work with um, um, a guy called Sam Murray, who's a veteran, and uh, Miranda Bailey. They developed um, a technique of a sort of a, a, a version of like what Wim Hof is, yeah. has done. But they've adapted it, because um, I found it very traumatic breathing like that. So they've adapted it. Um, um, working with sort of my experience if they've adapted their techniques and uh, been doing that in the cold water after and it's just mind-blowingly incredible it's, uh, so I'm on I'm, I've been on a 10-day breathing program through the Curtis Palmer program with them um, and it's just it's been life-changing but I've, I've, it's been quite a difficult thing for me to get it you know um, initially it did make me quite anxious but it's you know really shifting a lot of trauma and it's just so powerful it's amazing wow um, that sounds yes yeah. and what, yeah, what really, happened, i might ask you for the links and we can put it in the show notes below um, yeah really passionate about getting it out there how you know i think if it can help me who's been so you know this sort of trauma sort of almost stuck physically yeah, here for all that time um you know i really have had to work at it you know so it's not something that's instantly um you know but it's such an amazing tool that people could could use in you know in their daily lives um yeah really really passionate um about about what the work that they're doing um really wanted to get it out there that you know how much it could help help people and i literally feel the layers and we do a meditation after the breathing yeah. and you just go to this place of peace that's just and then you get in the cold water and the endorphins, serotonin, dopamine, all the things we get from our that training, you know, that, yeah, that really, yes, yes, you get from Good. you know the breathing, of cold water, and the meditation. It's such a powerful thing, and um, yeah, really passionate that, that just want to help other people so that they don't suffer really, um, and they can help themselves. Um, amazing. Well, we'll definitely put those on the show notes. So, so what's next? Have, have you thought about what, what, well, where you, what's next for you? Or, um, yeah, I, I obviously, we're all in this these strange yeah. times, aren't we? And we're doing what we can at, on Zoom, and um, uh, you know, all the things that we can do. It's just, yeah, just really going back to why I join the police to help people. I just feel like if I can you know, get what Nick's doing, the good work he's doing, carry on, I'm patron of Woodland Warrior Programme now. So if I can, by telling my story, my experiences, link in other people to be helped by him and, you know, carry on working with Nick and Curtis Palmer Programme, the work that they're doing, you know, the, just the power of the outdoors, nature, exercise, the breathing, that you, you, your diet, you know, just, I think that's my passion really, just to, um, just to carry on, because when I went, literally there was nothing, and I, that, that sense of, you know, isolation, 
um, was, was immense, you know, I didn't probably realize it at the time. Um, so just connecting people to these amazing things that are out there that, that can genuinely, genuinely, genuinely help them. And if it can help me after 30 years of being sort of stuck in it, you know, with this trauma, it can help, I think it can help anybody, can't it, Sonia? It really can. Absolutely. So I'm going to put, because, you know, my, my mission obviously is shining a light on your mission and, and, and get that advice and that help out to other people. So we'll, I'll get the links after this, Helen, from you and we'll put those in the show notes and, and we'll put oh. that out as part of, of the interview. Because I think now more than ever, and, and it's really funny because I'm just, I'm looking out my, my window here, I've got an absolutely beautiful view of the outdoors uh, of the river. Um, and, I, and I think that that would be one thing I'd say, you know, everyone's stuck, isolated. Uh, and, you know, we're all going through our own mental suffering, either mental or physical suffering because of, of, of the situation we're in. But you, you just said, Helen, you know, getting out there, getting, um, and, you know, well, obviously we can't go to shops and restaurants and bars anymore, but, but we can still go outside and exercise and walk and just being in nature and outside i i think and you know it's it's bloody cold out there at the moment but you know yeah. that on, put, your, put your scarf on and do it because there is nothing worse i i, I think especially mentally when you're not in the right place just to sit on your own at home just go for a walk i mean i, I, I that's I, I don't know what you feel helen you, you mentioned oh so um, absolutely can't agree yeah. with you more so passionate you know and, and obviously you know I touched on earlier you know we've got little Harry who's eight and you know I try because one of the techniques I'm sorry I'll go back a bit um, Miranda Bailey who works with Sam she's a breath practitioner she's amazing she got me just nasal breathing so all my life you know I've had this stuck anxiety trauma breathing sort of from the top she's got me nasal breathing so honestly it's virtually eradicated my anxiety just by breathing through my nose and they so say in a lot of people breathe up here in their chest and that's where all the, the you know that's not the good place to breathe from yeah hollow breathing isn't it that, that causes the anxiety Absolutely. stuck in that fight or flight really yeah. it, it gets you into that rest rest and digest the parasympathetic i can never say it parasympathetic <laughs> nervous system um, so, you know, you think how many people now, you know, even like little Harry, the, the environment, you know, the school schools are closed, the fear that's out there, and we're all frightened and anxious, aren't we? And it, you know, forget. I, I try. I explain to him at eight, you know, breathe through your nose and tell your friends, tell your teacher. You know, mm -hmm. I know it all. It sounds ridiculously simple, but honestly, Sonia, it's transformed how I, I feel, and it's enabled me to do this more holotropic, more you know um you know sort of um deep breathing through that we do but um yes yeah, such a pa simple powerful thing that people can do I, I i really do think that that's one good thing that's come out of all this because it's always good to look on the positive is we've we've got we've had to sort of slow down <laughs> life's had to slow down we've had to look at ways of well for what you were mindfulness different ways of of sort of, of healing ourselves um, and like you say, it's breathing techniques, meditation, just taking some time outdoors in, in nature, all of these things that don't involve money, they don't involve materialistic things, they don't involve rush, 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 or busy, 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 but actually it's just the simple things, I think, in life that can help us. 
totally and and uh, you know so many you you you've interviewed people the, all these veterans you know i see it you know who, who self-medicate in whatever way you know or you know same in, in the police you know uh, all these things that we turn to try and make ourselves feel better but actually with you know you've got to stick with these things they don't happen overnight but there's so much we can do to help ourselves you know and just connecting with people that can maybe set us on this path and support us but you know so as you said so much is actually quite simple and if it can keep us away from you know all these these toxic um coping mechanisms you know i just yeah just passionately sort of want to share how i i've been helped by just the mainly military veterans really it's amazing Helen look I could talk to you all day but I, I'm sorry. I, have, I have got my final question that I have to ask you and that is if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find oops you've just got what would that sorry. message be sorry oh yeah just oh this will sound really corny it's just to like to be kind and share the love and you know that has got to be the way forward I know we've got these difficult jobs you know and things to do but to share the love you know and just be kind to one another and be kind to yourself and and just you know believe in yourself and love yourself and ship and then part that will pass on to the people that you interact with and you know it just um and that never to give up hope you know however dark things get Love never it. give up helen thank you so much for being a guest on my show it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you oh thank you so much for having me thanks sonia i've loved it thank you hope you enjoyed the show remember there's a new interview out every monday so hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox